0: Good morning, and we will be in the book of Mark, chapter 6, this morning. As you turn there, let's uh, let's just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do uh, praise your name and and thank you for the opportunity to be here and and just learn about you, learn more about you through your word. And we just pray our hearts and minds would be in tune with what you have for us to learn this morning. And we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now as we turn to you know, Mark chapter 6, beginning in, in verse 45, uh, a passage f- I'm, I am hate to assume too much, but I'm going to, uh, well-known to everyone here. In fact, this is one of those passages, we've been here before in the gospel, according to Mark, a passage is well-known to most everyone, even though they may have never read the Bible themselves. You know. Maybe you've heard it, I don't know, in your life at times, but people will refer sometimes to, to an individual as, well oh boy, that guy almost walks on water. Or so and so, boy, some people think he walks on water, but he don't. <laughs> you know? They refer to it, you know, again in that idea of, of someone so amazing. That they could achieve a feat of walking on liquid water. Again, setting someone apart uh, up and above, putting them on a pedestal almost. Again, a passage that so many people know, have heard of, but they don't really know. <laughs> and hopefully, as we look at this passage ourselves, that we'll learn a little bit more what's going on here. Because again, this is a passage. it's amazing, it's powerful, it's dramatic. But it's also one, you know, the Lord doesn't do these things just because. (laughs) You You know, he wasn't just out for a stroll just because he could. I mean, he can. But there's reasons. The Lord, everything he did, he did for a reason. There was a purpose behind why he did it. As we talked the last time we were here in Mark, one of the reasons that we have to keep in mind in the context of this, so much of the Gospels is the Lord Pouring into the lives of these men, teaching these men. Teaching them things that no one else, before they were recorded, before they were written down, no one else knew of this. No one else was there to see it. No one else knew this took place until they recorded it for the world to learn. So out of the gate, there was something that, you know, again, he was teaching these men. Now then, there's definitely some things for us to learn through these passages, and through these events. Part of that context, again, what he was instilling in them. Uh, so as we turn there, I look at this, this is another opportunity, a lesson, the Lord is going to teach you a lesson of traveling against the winds of life. Our passage begins, as we said, as Pastor Kern already read in verse 45, it says, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. Okay, first he puts them out on the water. Again, we had this before with the storm. <laughs> when he calms it, he's the one who tells them, okay, we're going to go out onto the lake, we're going to go and do this, knowing full well the storm is coming. But even in this passage, he's the one who tells them, go ahead, You get in the boat and go before me. Interesting that. (laughs) Just think about that. All that had been taking place, again, to back up just a moment, the feeding of the 5,000 before that, they had all been going out and doing this ministry, empowered to cast out demons, to heal, to preach. And then they were going to come aside for a special time of rest. That doesn't happen because the multitude follows them. Again, an opportunity of teaching and healing that the Lord does, a feeding, a miraculous event. When it's all done, the Lord says, Okay, you guys, pack up, get in the boat. I'll meet you later. I don't know about you, but again, have you ever been with someone that you just really enjoy being around? You look forward to that time together? And they tell you, yeah, go ahead. I've I've got things to do. You go ahead. I'll catch up with you later. I don't know, but there's something that could be a slight disappointment. Like, oh. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to have some time together. That <laughs> was going to be us. But, all right. Again, it, it, they do it. They get in the boat, and they move out. They go ahead. They get. He puts these 12 men back out on the water. They don't know why. <laughs> exactly. They just think they're going ahead of him. And we're not told. There's no discussion, no argument, as far as we know. No, why? <laughs> I'll be honest. If I was there, I'd be going, Why? <laughs> Why don't we all just go together? do doesn't say that. At least we're not told. He just tells them to go, and they do. He sends them out ahead of him while he dismisses the multitude. Again, part of this, I think, is he has a lesson that's just for them. We saw in other passages that when the Lord moves, the multitude seems to just follow him and want to be there with him. Even in the the, the, the account of the storm, we we're told that there were other boats on the water. There are others there who witnessed this event. Now, they may not have seen what actually took place in the boat with the rest of the disciples, but they saw the storm. They saw it end. This is an opportunity. And again, when he was moving away with the disciples, you know the multitude followed him to the point where they were in a stranded area. And the Lord miraculously fed them all. But in this, he's going to take an opportunity. He's like, no, I'm gonna I got something to teach these, these boys. And pretty much I just it's just for them. Just for them right now. But I also see something here too, you know, something of a little minor note of God. Jesus doesn't leave the twelve to clean up while he goes off to pray. Finally, because our passage says. You While know, well, he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, in verse 46, he departed to the mountain to pray. A couple things there. Again, he just doesn't, like, he could have said, like, okay, fellas, been a busy day, I've been healing, I've been preaching all day, I'm tired. Okay, I'm going to go off and pray, you guys clean up here, and then I'll meet you over in Bethsaida. In my mind, that would be a very human way of going about things. It would be understandable. You know, delegate of authority kind of thing. If the Lord doesn't do that. It teaches us something about our God, that nothing is beneath him. And we, that should be obvious, again, in context of where the Lord is ultimately going to the cross. But even in his earthly ministry, through all these things, the healings and everything, every little thing is not beneath him humility of our God that he wouldn't do that to take time to dismiss now we're not told exactly how he dismisses them it doesn't say whether or not he he you know just said okay everybody out <laughs> you ain't got to go home but you can't stay here kind of thing or does he doesn't say whether he greeted everyone and said goodbye There'd be a lot of people I doubt it but or did he offer just a simple you know, final prayer, a benediction, so to speak, of any kind? We don't know. But just as he dismissed them. He took it upon himself to end this time and send the multitude away. Again, God always personable, relationable. It's always a beautiful picture of God. This reminds me of those things. If, if man was writing this, if man was putting this, if this was all man centered, these kind of little details wouldn't be there. <laughs> I hope that we, we never want to fail to, to pick up just the, the nuances and the subtlety of God, of what he's telling us about himself in, in these accounts. But it says he go, went off to pray. Again, we've seen this before with the Lord. Big, t- uh, Busy days, busy times of ministry and everything. And he takes the time to go to pray. Gets up early, it says in, in earlier in Mark, and he goes off to pray. Again, you'd you think, you know, it was a busy time. He'd go and take a nap. But how often, it tells us the, 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 the importance of communication within the Godhead. That ever that how vital that was that he would always make time for that, always be doing that. It was never added on. It was just a natural aspect of his life. Now again, they were talking about God incarnate, <laughs> but still God in the flesh. <laughs> at the same time, he tired as we did, he thirsted, he hungered, all the things that Physically drain us, he felt. Yet he always made that of utmost importance to be in communication with the Heavenly Father. So this takes place, so he sends them off, he goes up to the mountain to pray. And again, we don't know exactly what was going in the minds of these 12 men as they set out uh, across a body of water. They've been on several of them many times throughout their lives. But things get to be difficult once they get out there. Verse 47 says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Verse 48, Then he saw them straining at rowing, For the wind was against them. It's interesting. Again, we don't know the distances, don't know exactly what mountain he was on. And that, but he saw them. He could see where they were at. And again, that little part, he was alone. Again, no one else was around. He sent everybody home. Even though he was distant from them, it was the Lord And the disciples. Even though they didn't really realize it, he was with them. It goes on in verse 48 it says, And the wind picked up, or it says, And the wind was against them. They were straining against the rowing, for the wind was against them. They were having a difficult time making progress, (laughs) straining against the oars. Now we're all twelve of them, or you know, eleven of them rowing and one you know steering the rudder. I don't know. I don't know much about sailing. I know you know just just a little bit. But, you know, a sailing vessel trying to make headway, trying to make progress against the wind, it ain't easy. I remember one time uh, my grandparents they had a, a place on a lake way up north by by Eagle River, Saint Germain. Uh, It's way up almost to the border of of Michigan, the UP up there. I was fairly young, me and my one brother. We were in grade school, and it was just me and my brother and my grandmother. And we went out in the canoe just to take a little paddle around the lake. And the way out was pretty good, but on the way back, the wind kicked up. (laughs) And it got hard. My grandma was in the back, and, and, and I was in front. And we just, we could not make, you know, we just kept, we could, kept getting blown against the shore. Thankfully, it's not that big of a lake. But it was big enough that, the, that our destination seemed could have been almost 1,000 miles away for the amount of progress we were making against that wind. And finally, we just beached it and walked up to the, the house that we were at and just said, um, I'm sorry, can, can you give us a ride back to our house? <laughs> and, of course, gracious people said, yes, they had a truck we were able to. You know, the man... Hauled up the, the canoe up, up into his truck and dropped us back off. <laughs> I have no idea what it'd be like on a real big body of water. And these are grown men, seasoned men on the water, straining, working hard, making very little progress. And interesting, too, in this verse at this point says that it was the fourth watch of the night. Just before it says he come came to them. It says the fourth watch. Now from my understanding, and look at it, that's between three and six in the morning. It tells us when they set out, Now, know, in verse 47, it was in the, the, the when evening came, they were in the middle of the ocean. So that was, you know, right around between sunset and dark, you know, so that time of world, hard to tell what time of year it was. We're thinking like, you know, seven, eight o'clock, you know, nine at the latest. So let's see, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, they were out there minimum six hours, six hours, (laughs) rowing and making very little progress. (laughs) We don't know exactly, but maybe halfway to their destination, could have been more than that, could have been nine hours they were out there. It's tough. Again, don't want to take too many liberties big into their minds, but I can tell you this if you've any time you're working at a task that takes you longer than you anticipate it to, irritation comes in. Frustration comes in. Anger <laughs> very likely to come in <laughs> at that moment. And we don't know. But you can imagine, again, like I said the last time, the Lord using moments of, of, of tension <laughs> to teach masterfully. Again, putting them on a body of water that they probably sailed, you, I don't know exactly, but you could probably, in a good wind, make it across the Sea of Galilee, I don't know, hour or two, if the wind is right. Six hours minimum, <laughs> Rowing straining, tired, exhausted. Difficult. Again, remember, Jesus is the one who sent them out there. He's the one who put them out on that water. Go out there. I'll meet you. Part of this, when I look at this, we have to remember that just because things get difficult doesn't mean that the direction you're headed in isn't God's will. I don't know about you, but how often sometimes in life we can be headed, we're sure we've been given something from the Lord and we know we're supposed to be doing or heading in a certain direction and the winds of life start blowing against us. Our progress is stymied. It's difficult. It's hard. Frustrating. And it becomes so easy at the time to go, well, maybe this isn't the Lord's will. You know, maybe I had it wrong. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And there's some who will even preach that if you're headed in God's direction, he'll just pave the way and it will be smooth sailing That's not what I read when I read my Bible. Some of God's best servants encounter some of the hardest difficulties in life. There, too, there's definitely a lesson for us today here in this dispensation. (laughs) See, we can look at Paul's life how many times he meted obstacles and hardships. It would have been easy to go, "Well, maybe it isn't God's will. Maybe I should just give up." You know no. no. God sometimes puts us right in the middle of that, that storm, that wind. Because there's a lesson to be learned, an opportunity to, to grow and to be, to, 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 even to know Him in a greater way. It's interesting, Paul in 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now this may not be persecution, but it's hardship and difficulty. And can get one to doubt and question, Am I headed in the right direction? Is this what the Lord wants me to do with my life? I guess it's interesting there in verse 48 he says and he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them and now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by <laughs> okay so at this point now Jesus is going to show them how to move against the winds of the world he's not just doing this to awe them I mean, he's an awesome God. And he's already wowed them, so to speak, with many miraculous events. He's going to teach them something here. I see here, at least. And just he says he saw them straining at the rowing up on the mountain. He saw them. The wind was against them. And partially here, not again to get sidetracked, but when you think about this, was there a spiritual element at work? We know that Satan is the prince, the power of the air, and the king of this world for the time being. Was there possibly that effort that Satan and his minions were were using the natural forces to try and dissuade and discourage these men? It's possible. Don't know. It could also simply just be the natural forces of nature at work. It's just a windstorm that came up, that often does on the Sea of Galilee. Just natural day, a natural event. But do you ever wonder in life, you know, does God see you struggling? You know he does. He sees all things. He knows all things. Do you ever get to that point where you wonder, is like, if you see, where are you? Why don't you do something? Step in and make this path easier for us, for me, whatever the situation may be. It could be easy to get discouraged that way. We allow those thoughts to begin to roll in our minds and in our hearts. The thing is, when when we read that the Lord saw them, it wasn't like he was standing aloof, uncaring, like watching, you know, just a television program. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Look at those guys out there. No, I see here almost like sometimes a parent watching a child. Let's see how they do. For those parents, I think most have. At some point, you've been training, you've been you know, teaching children in different aspects of life, and sometimes you give them a task, and unbeknownst to them, sorry to, you know, spoiler alert, alert kids, but you know sometimes parents do. They'll stand off to the side through a window or something like, okay, let's see how they do with this. They know what they're supposed to do. They know what they're supposed to be doing and how things work. Not uncaring. Not unfeeling. Close by at hand if things get out of hand. (laughs) Ready to step in. Let's see. They've been given what they need to know. Let's see what happens here. Remember, God, is the Father, is the ultimate picture of parenthood, of fatherhood. And I think sometimes He does, He puts His children in situations. Okay, let's see what they do. See if they've learned the lessons, if they've grown, if they've taken those steps of maturity and faith. But He's always ready at hand. And we see that then. He saw them struggling, He saw them at work, and He came out to them. He came to them. Again, a beautiful statement. He didn't just stand there going, I can't believe it. There they are again, <laughs> struggling, just under their own power, those knuckleheads. No, he went out to them. He went out to them. And again, part of this, I think the, again, no one else was there. Part of it would love to be there, that, that first step on the water. You know, again, if Hollywood did it, they'd have him pause with dramatic music mm-hmm, as he about takes that first... Step. He just, I think he just walked <laughs> as if he was walking on any other physical substance in creation because he knew <laughs> that he would not sink. Nothing uh, would deter him from, from reaching those he was coming towards. So what we see there, he has no difficulty moving against the wind and the waves. None whatsoever. One, we could definitely see that he demonstrates his power of creation as the creator. The creation can only bend to his will, to his command. Or to simply hold him up <laughs> as he walked across it. I don't know... <laughs> Exactly, but still a dramatic moment, but also if there was a spiritual element here demonstrating his power over any spiritual forces that may be at work, just like he demonstrated his power over all the false gods of Egypt when he brought his children out of that time of bondage. it was interesting he said it says he overtook them and would have passed them by. Like uh, Pastor Kern alerted, alluded to there, Boy, the Lord was making good time. <laughs> Just moving. I mean, granted, you know, the Sea of Galilee is in a huge body of water when you, can, you contrast it with like the Great Lakes or something, but it's still a fair-sized body of water to be moving across. That he would have been able to walk right out there and caught up to them and would have passed them by. Interesting too, that phrase would have passed them by. Again, sometimes, does it ever feel when you're in a moment of those struggles, is like, Lord, like He just passed you by. Like He's working out in someone else's life or doing things in someone else's situation, and you're still struggling. You can feel like the Lord is like, Where are you ignoring me? Do you not see? Do you not care? Oh, he cares. It's interesting, too, that he would have passed them by. It says in verse 9, And when he saw them, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. It's interesting. <laughs> Again, don't no get it. Were they exhausted? Were they tired? I think, but part of it, I think, just amazed. seeing something you ain't never seen before person walking on the water. Walking. <laughs> Where no mere human would ever have the ability or right to stand. I gotta cut them a little slack. I think I'd freak out a little bit too. Being honest. But it's it wasn't until they cried out that the Lord stopped and turned to them makes me think of what he tells them in the Sermon on the Mount. You do not have because you do not ask. Not uncaring, but so often. I don't know about you parents, but sometimes you tell your child, (laughs) if you need help, ask. Not uncaring, you know, some simple task of putting on shoes (laughs) or, or, or doing a task that you know that they can do, but just like, and all they do until... I'm gonna let you struggle till you ask. Because I know in the asking there's growth. <laughs> there's growth there. Very interesting. They cried out. Picking up verse 50 it says, But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Immediately. He responded. Immediately, he talked with them. Be of good cheer. It's okay. It's me. It's me. And interesting, like that, that phrase, now I don't know that it is I, kind of alludes when you look at it in a little bit. Again, I'm not the Greek scholar, but it seems to give the picture, the pointing to that phrase, not just the phrase phrase that, that, and not merely a term, but that title, that name. I am Jehovah. I. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he says, Then he went up into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed and marveled or greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and, <laughs> and marveled. Partly I think that that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> to a degree, greatly amazed, marveled, beyond measure. Time and time again, the things that these fellows had seen, amazed beyond measure. Part two, too, when we see that Jesus was walking on the water. He was not bound or moved in such a way by being dictated by the winds of the world. The wind couldn't deter him and push him from his course. While the disciples in their boat and all 12 men rowing together could barely make it across the sea, or make it halfway at this point at best, the Lord simply walks through the wind walks over the waves. They can't stop him. They can't deter him. The things of the world cannot move or deter our Lord. Later on in his ministry, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he tells the disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, and the world you will have tribulation." But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Again, for us, in, in, even in this dispensation, the winds of this world can blow. And they can blow hard and strong. And we can be of absolute certainty the direction we need to move and to go, but the wind can move us. It can either slow us down, it can move us sideways. Backwards and forwards. The waves can toss us up and down and get us off course. But Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome it. It's not to say when we move through life that we won't get hit with the spray or feel the wind in our hairs such as they are. But they won't stop us. They won't stop us. It's interesting, too, in our passage here, we pick up in verse 52. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Again, that that flow of the, all of this going on, what the Lord has been teaching them, what He has been demonstrating to them, and and where He's been leading them, they failed to understand the lesson previous. And it just amazed beyond measure. How could this be? Who could this man be? As they said when He calmed the storm, that they would fail to understand that is there anything impossible for the one who just fed thousands? Interesting. It just makes me, uh, reminds me of a, a line from one of my favorite movies. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. I know. I'm sorry. Some one of my favorite characters, Luke, this noble knight who's on a quest again to free the galaxy of evil, is under the training of the tutelage of the wise master, and he just gets schooled on what is possible. And when he says after the wise master does what he thinks is impossible by lifting the starship out of the swamp, he says, I don't believe it. Yoda's only response? That is why you fail. I think how often in the Christian life we butt up against that wall because I don't believe it. I don't believe God could answer this. I don't believe God could could answer this problem, remove this, whether it's a pain in my heart, a a, a roadblock in the path of progress in the ministry. I don't believe it. That is why you're struggling. That is why you're being deterred. That is why you aren't moving forward. It's not lack of strength. Like a faith, as the Lord said elsewhere, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. I guess Pastor Walgassel points, "If" being the key word there. If you had, then you could do this. And I see that, again, We don't want to be too harsh on these fellows because I think even in my own life how many times I've butted up against that wall. My first thought of, I can't understand how this will work out. All I see is hardship and difficulty. I don't see the way forward. A lack of faith. Have you ever seen God at work And had a hard time believing it. I think that's part what these fellows saw. Time and time again they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, work. And just a little while later, well, I don't believe how we're going to do this. I don't believe that there's an answer. But God is faithful. And he keeps teaching these fellows. even in this life, does it ever feel like the winds of life are against you? It's interesting. Have you ever heard that phrase that some people say, life is against me? <laughs> I don't know you've heard that. You know, Life's just out to get me. Life stinks. Just got it out for me. Well, that's not true at all. Because Jesus Christ said, I am the life. The one who is the life only has our best in mind, is only for us, never against us. The world may be against you. (laughs) In fact, the world is against you. The world system will always be against the believer. But life, again, the one who is the life, is always for you, never against you not only said that I am the life, he said, I am the way. When we think of this passage, we won't go there, but in Matthew's account, again, that dramatic event where Peter says, Lord, if it is you, call me. He says, come. Peter got out of the boat. Again, faith. Come. I am the way rest in me and your path through the wind will be clear. May that be the lesson that we take into our hearts that whatever winds we face that we trust in him and allow him to move us through the storms of life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful to know that you are a God who Sees us in our struggles, but also comes to us. That you are the one who is always for us, never against us. And the one who will move us through the storms of life. May our faith in you ever grow stronger and deeper. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you Pastor Becker. I appreciate the the life that gets brought out in the passages there like that. It, it strengthened and encouraged my heart. As we gather again here and-